2: This is the on the media midweek podcast. I'm Ver Gladstone. This week we're bringing you a story from our colleagues at The Experiment, a show produced by WNYC and The Atlantic. It's about spam, the meaty kind. During World War II, whenever American troops spread democracy, they left the tinned pork mix in their wake, tossing cans of Spam out of trucks to the hungry people they sought to liberate. That's how experiment producer Gabrielle Berbe's grandfather first came to know and love Spam as a kid in the Philippines, once a classic American product. Eighty years later, it's now a staple Filipino food, a beloved emblem of Filipino identity. In this episode, the first of a three-part series, Gabrielle sets out to understand how spam made its way into the hearts of generations of Pacific Islanders and ends up opening a spam can of worms. Host of the experiment, Julia Longoria, sets up the premise and returns later in the episode.
3: How did spam get to the Philippines?  —
2: December 7th, 1941. —
0: The story starts on a horrific day in U.S. history. —
2: A date which will live in infamy. —
0: Hours after bombing Pearl Harbor, Japanese troops bombed Manila, which is the capital of the Philippines, where my family's from. —
2: Manila has just been bombed. — Here was merciless attack upon a people who had been taught the American way of life and freedom. —
0: And what happened next? when my grandfather was just about 10 years old, is a story he would tell over and over again throughout the course of his life. My mom and my Lola remember it.
2: I remember him on the bed telling the story to
4: the kids. And they are all on the floor. My dad told me that uh, during World War II, he was a young boy and— After the
0: Japanese troops invaded the Philippines, they began committing war crimes. They were killing Filipinos. They were raping women. That's when my grandfather and his family had to flee their home to the mountains to hide from the Japanese. Living in fear, always ready to run at a moment's notice, trying to avoid the Japanese army. And this went on for more than three years. But in 1945, American troops landed. And my Lola saw these big military trucks with American flags rolling through the dusty roads of the provinces.
2: But now, fulfilling his pledge to the Filipino people, General Douglas MacArthur has returned. Crowds wildly but, welcome MacArthur and their freedom. They have starved and suffered, but live.
0: I picture him really little and, like, sprinting <laughs> towards these big military trucks, and the American GIs would throw food to the kids that were chasing them. But my Lolo remembers them throwing cans of Spam.
4: Because they would exchange cans of Spams for fresh eggs and bring dozens of eggs to the American GIs, and he'd get, you know, a lot of Spam.
0: For him, these cans of Spam and these, like, kind of foods that American soldiers had, this was, like, the gifts from the saviors. Food at last after days of starvation, but relief for all is in sight. Like, this was freedom. After my Lolo caught his first can of Spam, he fell in love with the idea of American freedom. For him, Spam meant opportunity, a hope that something better is coming. It became his mission in life to move his family, eventually, to the US. His son, my uncle, was the first person in my family to immigrate here. And he would send care packages back to my family in the Philippines that we call Balak Bayan boxes, full of spam. My Lola remembers opening these boxes, seeing the blue and yellow can, and thinking, we'll be together soon, in America. For us, spam is a symbol of love. It's a way of saying, I'm thinking about you. And it turns out, a similar pattern played out all over the world.
3: Hello? Hello, can you
0: hear me? Hi, I think we lost connection. Hey,
3: Gabriel. sorry, I'm like, I'm in grading papers mode. And-
0: I made some calls to food historians. Uh, the largest
3: numbers of spam dispersal happened during the second phase of the Pacific theater. Places
0: like Guam, Hawaii, Philippines. And they told really me, me that place. wherever there is an American military presence, spam was left in its wake. It's a kind of, almost like an informal way to spread American democracy. But I also wanted to know, why did it stay? Because it's one thing for American GIs to bring it and have it as part of their food rations and sometimes give it away, but then it becomes like this staple. I mean, how how does that happen? I'm not sure. I was trying to research it before we spoke, and I was like literally looking through like historical documents. And... There hasn't been enough history done of it. No one could answer my question.
3: I, I can't give you the historical answer.
0: So, the next logical step was to go straight to the source, to a town called Austin, not Austin, Texas, Austin, Minnesota, Spam Town, USA.
3: Gabrielle and I journeyed to the birthplace of spam after the break. That kind of looks like spam.
0: Yeah, right. it looks like a spam can.
3: On a hot August afternoon, we stepped off the plane in Minneapolis into the scorching sun and began our two hour drive south.
0: This is, it is beautiful. Like, it looks like a painting. Yeah.
3: With the corn and the clouds. The sky is like a soft blue. Through cornfields.
0: This road feels like it goes forever.
3: Tons of cornfields. Yeah, I think
0: this is, in fact, like the middle of the country. This is. To this
3: is- Austin, Minnesota, the birthplace of spam. Driving around certain parts of Spamtown, it feels like driving onto a Leave it to Beaver set from the 1950s. It's like a seafoam greenhouse, a little brick church steeple. It's a mix of farmland, strip malls, suburban single-family homes, and a quaint little downtown.
0: And on the left, this little cabin, and it says The American.
3: Our hotel, The American Inn. Felt like a ski lodge. This looks like a living room with family photos on the wall. In the corner next to the front desk... George and Lillian Hormel. There are all these old family portraits of the Hormel family.
0: Photos of the craters of Spam are here. But then when I look at these white men in long coats and bowler hats and the sepia-toned photograph in this, like, American town... I'm like, how did their spam come to the Philippines and become my spam? These are not my ancestors. <laughs> and right away, at the hotel breakfast, it became clear that spam is the main attraction of Austin. Our,
1: our parents all ate spam.
3: Yeah.
0: Where are you guys all from?
1: Michigan. I live in Florida now.
3: Fargo, North Dakota. I'm darn proud of it, too.
0: People from all over the world travel here to visit the famous Spam Museum. —
3: It was used heavily by the troops. —
0: Yeah. — The North Dakotan that we met at breakfast said that he served in the military. He worked in the kitchens where he cooked Spam. — I think that's where my
1: dad got his taste for it. —
0: And the woman from Florida said that her father was first introduced to Spam during World War II. — He was all over the Pacific. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny that you... So, that of course, and- I told her about my grandfather. American GIs would throw cans of Spam at oh, cool. at the kids. <laughs> that's why the GIs would have... They were fed it a lot,
1: and I think that's why they had a distaste for it, because it was, like, pushed at them all the time.
0: I was actually so surprised to hear that her father didn't like my Lolo's beloved Spam. There was
1: a lot of maybe ugly memories associated with it because it brought back memories of the war. Yeah.
0: For her dad, it was something that was probably tied to one of the hardest and most violent moments of his life. Yeah. And, and that that part was hard. Whereas whereas for like my grandpa,
4: for him, getting- It was a good it,
0: memory. It was a good memory, because It makes me feel good that, that, that.
3: Next, we went back downtown, where we were faced with a vision in blue. That kind of looks like spam.
0: Yeah, right? it looks like a spam can. It does. Yeah. We arrived at the Spam Museum, a spam-shaped building in the center of downtown Austin. I want to find out how spam became a staple food in places like the Philippines. Okay, for
4: every
0: spam museum. It has a distinct Willy Wonka vibe. Yeah, the spam line hovering <laughs> above your head is this spam production line with these like brightly colored spam cans chugging along oh, the oh, conveyor why? belt. Hi,
1: Hi, Hi Saville. Saville, Saville Lord. Hi, I'm
0: Gabrielle. And we were immediately greeted by the woman who runs the museum.
1: I'm the spam manager. Savile Lord,
0: oh, the spam manager. Oh, okay, okay.
1: So everything was we make. We have fun with. We have spam ambassadors who um, help us here at the museum. We have about 20 of them. And then I'm the spam manager. Uh, and then we um, really encourage people when they leave the museum to have a spam day. Um, we, we serve spamples, which are just a little piece of spam on it with a pretzel. Spamples. spamples. So it's really very nice. And so, what I thought I would do is just show you the spam ballet.
3: They play footage from the meatpacking plant, with forklifts carrying hundreds and hundreds of Spam cans, all set to a ballet. You forget that this is all taking place at a slaughterhouse.
1: — It is several miles worth of cans, and that is going into that six-story pressure cooker. —
0: When you're in the factory, does it feel like dizzying like this? Like — No, it doesn't you go quite as fast, but
1: it's a lot of Spam. — It is a lot of Spam. <laughs>
0: — Spam manager Saville told us the history of this magical meat.
1: — So Spam was originally about the length of a loaf of bread. — Oh, so that's It was a huge. luncheon loaf. — Oh my um, god! <laughs> — Yeah. — So you would serve four, four or five people, the average size of a family, and you wouldn't have to worry about refrigeration.
0: — Behind all the whimsy, Spam was born out of a really dark time. It was created in 1937, during the Great Depression. The country was struggling. Families needed cheap food, workers needed jobs, and companies were losing money. But the Hormel Company came up with a clever way to avoid laying off its workers. They invented a new, cheap product that would create more work and bring in more revenue. From the parts of the pig that were normally tossed out they created a salty, fatty source of protein, spiced ham, or spam. And then, a few years later, World War II hit, and spam spread all over the world. It wasn't the healthiest thing to send with the soldiers, but it preserved well, and it was packed with calories.
1: There's a lot of people over there. Why don't we head over into the Philippines, and then we can head back over there so it's not too loud.
0: then she took us around the corner. This is our international area. And there were all of these booths dedicated to South Korea, Hawaii, Latin America, Japan, China. Can I look at the Philippines? Absolutely. Go right ahead. And there was this whole booth in the museum dedicated to the Philippines. Oh, yeah, the Bayan box. How do you guys know what that is?
1: (laughs) We we definitely know what the Banyan box is. And for those of you who don't know what the Banyan box is, it is a gift box that people usually in the United States would send home to their families.
0: Those care packages that my uncle would lovingly fill with spam and send back to my Lola in the Philippines, here they were on display really in a museum exhibit.
3: I wonder how how did the company come to know about the way it was used in this way? It's almost like you need a food anthropologist. We like- have a food anthropologist on staff here. Oh, you um, do? We absolutely
0: do. Yeah. What are they- the fact that Filipinos oh, love spam so much felt like Filipino insider baseball to me. But the spam museum made clear, all along, spam loved us back. It says, uh, As a token of our love for the Philippines, we have created a special Filipino flavor, Spam Ticino. So for decades after American GIs packed up and left the Philippines, the company knew that it had captured the hearts of an accidental market. And they worked hard to keep it. They became experts in Filipino culture.
1: So there was a boy band called All for Spam in the Philippines between 2017 and 2018. And all they did was sing about Spam. No way!
0: What? Hormel even created a Filipino boy band, which Filipinos love boy bands, and they styled it after the Backstreet Boys. All for Spam, these four boys dressed in all white are part of this, this boy band. And they'll just sing about Spam? Walking around the museum, immersed in the story that Hormel tells about Spam, it's easy to fall in love with this product, like my Lolo did. My grandpa would be, like, in tears. (laughs) He'd be in tears! Oh my god, I feel emotional. He'd be so happy to be here. Forget that it was originally leftover pig parts born of the Great Depression. Forget that American G.I.s hated spam so much, the company kept a hefty file of hate mail from soldiers trashing spam. Forget that it was spread all over the world because of war. Here at the museum, spam is all color and light, this symbol of opportunity and family. But today, 80 years after it landed in the Pacific, love for spam can be complicated.
2: There is no path to spam. Spam is the path.
0: For that Guamanian spam poet, Craig Santos-Perez...
2: Guam is considered the spam capital of the world.
0: His poetry makes a connection between Guam's undying love for spam... ...the end
2: result can be found in the newspaper's obituary pages.
0: ...and the island's health crisis from its dependence on imported canned foods. I talked to a health clinic in Hawaii that's actually trying to help local Hawaiians make healthier, homemade versions of Spam. The name
2: itself stands for Specially Processed Army Meat. Salted pork and more. Some people are missing.
0: My Lolo died a few years ago, in part from diabetes complications. And when he was first diagnosed, Spam was the first food to go. But for him, Spam could forever do no wrong. In a way, his first can of Spam was a gelatinous seed that planted the idea of his American dream, a dream that came true for him in the end. One by one, all of his kids came to the United States and later brought him here too. And now, here I am, an American.
2: Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Sorry, I always do a burp at the end of that poem.
0: And this is where I thought the story ended. Case closed, let's go home. But... Throughout my reporting process, this other thing kept coming up. This thing that had nothing to do with my original question. But all of these historians I talked to were like, well, are you going to talk about the strike? And at first, when I heard about it, I was like, what strike? And they were like, well, you can't talk about spam without talking about the strike. So when I was in the museum, I asked about it. We also talked to someone who mentioned that there was, like, a strike at the spam factory in the 80s. Is that something? Do you guys have history of that here? We don't talk about the
1: strike here at the museum, no. That wasn't directly related to spam.
0: Oh, okay. We supposedly had to talk about this strike, but then no one would talk to us about it. So... I started calling local Austonians. Hello? Can you hear me okay? I sure can. You sound perfect. Okay, great, great. Um, thank you. So when I say people don't talk about the strike, I mean, like, to this day, they don't talk about the strike. Oh, you better
2: believe people don't want to talk about it.
4: There are still people who are not speaking to each other. It was like the elephant in the room. Nobody really talked about it. We don't talk about these things.
1: We don't talk about things that are difficult or cause pain.
0: The strike tore this town apart. I knew two brothers who were just fighting and for many years did not talk to one another because to cross that picket line was the worst. Families and friendships were torn apart. They were not speaking and did not speak for years. Parents against children, children against parents. This is a dark stain on the town.
3: It was horrible. You can feel the trauma of this strike. It didn't destroy Austin, but it did change it forever. It is part of the creation myth of that town.
0: You know, if there's a defining moment for the town, it's this.
3: Everybody's got something ugly in their past that defines them, whether we want it to or not. And there are a lot of things you can say about Batman, but at some point you're going to have to talk about the Joker. And I don't think you can talk about Austin without talking about the Joker, which is this strike. That's next week on The Experiment.
4: This episode of The Experiment was produced by Gabrielle Burbet and Julia Longoria, with help from Peter Bresnan and Alina Kuhlman. Editing by me, Kelly Prime, with help from Emily Botin, Jenny Lawton, Scott Stossel, and Catherine Wells. Special thanks to Noella Levy for her musical stylings and to the Mauer County Historical Society. Fact checked by William Brennan and Michelle Soraka. Sound design by David Herman, with additional engineering by Joe Plourd. Music by Tasty Morsels and Alexander Overington. Our team also includes Natalia Ramirez and Tracy Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And next week, make sure to listen to part two of our three-part series, Spam, How the American Dream Got Canned. The Experiment is a co-production of The Atlantic and WNYC Studios. Thanks for listening.